0: says, and, and they will know. Oh, thank you. They'll know you're my Talmudim by what? I'm sorry? I, I don't think I quite heard that. <laughs> by your yeah. love. He didn't say that, that, that they'll know you're my disciples by how perfect you walk. Because, uh, yeah, ain't none of us got it right. <laughs> Nobody's perfect, you know. So it's the love that, that's there. Now we strive to walk his ways how many of you have fallen short yeah it's everybody so praise god when, when we do mess up when we do fall short we have an advocate that, that that brings us back to him and that will remind us that we've strayed from the path because we need that at times right you know that's why uh, that's why scripture says how would i know that i've sinned except for you know so that leads us back in so there's a lot there that we find in the scripture that teaches us how to live in our daily life. Matter of fact, that's one of the reasons why it's there. (laughs) To show us how in our daily life we live, how we walk, how we do things, how we treat each other. I mean, if you haven't really checked it out, most of the scripture is talking about how you handle relationships. Relationships with each other, relationships with the Father, relationships with His people. So it's a a lot about relationship. Okay, Which kind of leads to what I want to talk about today is the 12 tribes. Well, how's, what's that going to do with relationship? Well, here's this. In Scripture, from the very beginning, Yahweh keeps covenant. So, when He keeps covenant, He does not do away with one covenant to establish a different covenant. Matter of fact, if Yahweh keeps a covenant, it is, it's there, it's in place. Nowhere do we find where he says, I made a covenant, and it's gone. I made a covenant, I made a mistake. Let's get rid of that one. Nowhere do you see that in Scripture. Okay, And here's one example. Yahweh made a covenant with Noah, and never again will he flood the whole earth. Now there's floods, okay? But nowhere again would he flood the whole earth. What was the sign for that covenant? Rainbow. How many of you still see rainbows? You still see rainbows? Which means the covenant is still in place. God keeps covenant. He did not do away with that covenant to help establish a different covenant. Okay? So he builds on what he gives. Okay? Each one had its purpose, each one had its plan, and we learn and we grow from that. So, why do I bring up this thing about Israel? Because, guys, the the, the scripture is about Israel, it's about a people who Yahweh has redeemed. It's about from the beginning. Mankind fell. He sinned. And Yahweh had a plan for restoration from that point to come in and bring us back to that place from the beginning. And he dealt with individuals. We find in the Scripture, I mean, there's Adam, then, uh, you know, he dealt with Noah, right? Then he dealt with Avraham, right? So Avraham, he made a covenant with Avraham. He extended that same covenant to Isaac, Yitzhak, He didn't make a different, separate covenant with Isaac, and then that covenant went to Jacob. And this is where it really gets interesting, because then that covenant extends to Jacob and his sons and all those that would be joined with them. How many sons did Jacob have? If you don't know the answer, it's right there. Twelve! Each of these is one of the tribes among Israel. And so Yahweh made this covenant. He established covenant with individuals, but then there's a certain point when he established covenant with a nation. And that nation is called Israel, the sons of Jacob. Nowhere else do we find a a nation being established in a place of covenant. None. That's substantial. That means it's important. So what is it about Israel that Yahweh has established, what is it uh, what, uh, for, for us in different places, you know, for how, does, how do we fit in all that, okay? So, I don't want to jump ahead of myself, but we're going to read a section from the uh, Haftarah from this week, and then we'll jump into this, okay? You ready? Alright, so this parsha is Vayetzi, and he went, and the Haftarah, part of the reading for the Haftarah is Hosea, uh, chapter 14. It's only nine verses we're going to read, okay? So Hoshea, which by the way, how many of you knew that was Joshua's name? Hoshea. His name was changed before he went and spied out the land. His name was Hoshea, and Moshe changed it to Yehoshua. (laughs) Hoshea, okay. So here, return Israel to Yahweh your God, for you have stumbled because of your what? Iniquity. So. Not to kind of take this line by line, I'm not going to, but here's the point that I want us to focus on. If you're reading through the Scripture, and, and, and as you start to read from the beginning through, you get a different perspective. One of the perspectives you see is how Yahweh is, is calling His people to return to Him because they walked away from Him. Okay? The thing is, are we in that or not? Okay? So here, return Israel to the Lord your God, for you have stumbled because of your iniquity. Iniquity is sin, right? But most often what we find, like in the New Testament, the word iniquity is translated as anomia, which was a compound word, the at, beginning, meaning without. And then nomos, nomos in the Greek means, is what they translate as law. But the word nomos is what they often translate to the Hebrew, Torah. So in the Greek, nomos, law, is in the Hebrew, Torah. Torah means teaching and instruction. Okay, so the word anomia means, literally iniquity, literally means without law, but translated from the Hebrew literally means without Torah. So to walk without the Torah is to walk in iniquity. That's a different perspective, isn't it? That's not what you commonly hear, is it? Okay, so take with you words and return to Yahweh, Say to him, take away all iniquity, except what is good, and we will pay with bulls the vows of our lips. Okay? Another word here, uh, you may have heard this translated as, we will give the fruit of our lips, giving praise. The word for bull and the word for fruit, it's actually the same Hebrew word. Okay, so it's not a mistranslation. All right? The difference is, either way, there's something that comes forward to be given on the altar. Our words reflect our heart. And they need to be given to him. Okay? Assyria shall not save us. We shall not ride on horses. We shall say no more, our God, to the work of our hands. If in, uh, in you, the orphan finds mercy. I will heal their apostasy. I will love them freely, for my anger is turned from them. I will be like the dew to Israel. He shall blossom like the lily. He shall take the, uh, the root like the trees of Lebanon. His shoots shall spread out. His beauty shall be like the olive. His fragrance like Lebanon. It's, it's right, these are good things, good prophecy, good things that are happening, right? Let's keep reading. Verse 7. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall return and dwell beneath my shadow. They shall flourish like the grain. They shall blossom like the vine. Uh, their fame shall be like the wine of Lebanon. Verse 8. Oh, Ephraim, I thought he was talking to Israel. We'll get to that. He is talking to Israel. Why does he call him Ephraim? Oh, Ephraim, what have I to do with idols? It is I who answer and look after you. I am like an evergreen cypress. Uh, From me comes your fruit. Whoever is wise, let him understand these things. Whoever is discerning, let him know them. For the ways of Yahweh are what? Right. And the upright do what? Walk in them. But transgressors stumble in them. So Yahweh's ways are right, and the upright walk in them. Um, other translations say the same thing. Other places says the same thing in different scriptures. The idea here is that the those righteous will walk in his ways. But those who are not righteous will stumble in his ways. But, the, but the, the point is the same, that we walk in his ways. Right? Okay. So what does all this talk about Israel have to do with me? If you're not looking at Scripture from the understanding of seeing how Yahweh made a covenant with Israel from the, from, from the beginning through the end of the book you are going to miss a lot of understanding in the Scripture, and especially when it comes to looking at things prophetically. You know, things that were given and things that will be and things that are establishing, because a lot of this has to do with a people called Israel. But if you don't know about Israel, or if you don't consider yourself to be joined with Israel, you're going to miss it. Which, to kind of jump to the point here, you know, if you are a believer in Messiah Yeshua, Galatians 3 says what? 3.29, so if you believe in the Messiah, then you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. What promise? It is the promise of the covenant that Yahweh made with Abraham. It said so in that verse that that you read. Heirs according to that promise that he made with Abraham. Hmm, what about the whole idea of being grafted in? Oh, Romans 11, we're grafted in. Did you know that Genesis chapter 12 says the same thing to Abraham? We don't know that because we don't know what we're looking at. And so from the very beginning, covenant was established, and then Yahweh is bringing people from all nations from all over the world into be a people of covenant of promise with Israel. This is why I say it's so important that we understand, especially in these last days, everybody's standing, you know, yelling about Israel and, oh, Israel and the Palestinians, right? Make sure you get your facts straight. Yahweh made a covenant with Israel. Palestine didn't exist. The land belongs to Israel. Hmm. Scripture says all nations will come against Jerusalem what side are you going to be on? Because there's only one side that's going to be left standing. That's why the world twists. They take the Scripture and they they twist it. Uh, That's nothing new, guys. From the very beginning, the serpent twists. Did God really say... (laughs) Yep, He did. (laughs) Okay. So let's back up. So we can bring us back up to the statements that I just made. <laughs> All right. <laughs> so first off, Yahweh made covenant with Abraham. Abraham had a child whose name was like. What about Ishmael? Ishmael was a result of, of Abraham thinking he could figure it out. God said, I will give you a son through Sarah, your wife and you will call his name Isaac. Okay? That is the child that covenant and promise is going to be extended through. Avraham had Itzhak. Itzhak had Yaakov and Esav, right, Esau, but Yaakov, Jacob, is the one who the promise would go through. Okay? So Exodus 3.6. When Yahweh appeared to Moshe, how did he identify himself to Moshe? Burning bush, Right? Burning bush. And he says, so basically, okay, who am I talking to here, right? How does Yahweh reveal himself? He says, I am the God of your father, the God of who? Abraham, the God of Yitzhak, the God of Yaakov. And Moshe hid his face for he was afraid to look at God. So understand this. God is the same yesterday, today, forever, right? Scripture says Yeshua, Yeshua the Messiah, he doesn't change. Right? He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. and uh, the, the prophets, it says of Yahweh, he says, I am Yahweh, I change not. Amen. Okay? So if he says he is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, at what point does he stop being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? No. He's not. <laughs> he, he never stopped being the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Jacob's name was changed to what? Israel. Israel had 12 sons that became the tribes of Israel. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. Literally. So here's where the problem comes in. If you cannot say you serve the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, what God do you serve? Okay. Genesis 29. So Yahweh saw that Leah was hated, and he opened her womb, but, and Rachel was barren. So this week's Parsha, kind of pick up in there. If you haven't read it, go back and read it, okay? Um, Jacob is leaving home. He's going to find a bride. He, he finds a bride at the well. There's a whole other study there. He finds a bride at the well. He goes back and tells Laban, I will work seven years for her, for Rachel, right? He says, okay, the time was up, seven years had came, Leah had not been married yet, so they, they get married, they get drunk, he wakes up and it's Leah. <laughs> I'm not candy-coating it, guys, that's the, way, that's the way Scripture says it, okay? And so he goes to, to, to Laban and said, uh, this wasn't the deal. Right? And Laban replies, well, I can't give you Rachel. If the older one isn't married yet, we don't do that here. The, old, the f- oldest has to be married first. He says, tell you what, work for me for another seven years. <laughs> oh, he was slick, wasn't he? Uh-huh, like a snake. He, he said, work for me for another, another seven years, and, I, and I'll give her to you. But Fulfill your time with Leah first, and then I'll then I'll give it to you. So basically, he spends a, a period of time uh, with Leah, and, and honestly, I th- yeah, I think it was a week. I think it was a week. He says, "So spend a week with her, and then I'll give you Rachel." But you have to work for me for another seven years. Okay. So he agrees. So, who did he want from the very beginning? Rachel, Rachel. So, of course, he loved her. He never wanted Leah. And even after they were married, he still never really wanted Leah. Okay? So, we have here. The Lord saw that Leah was hated because regardless of what happened, they were in covenant now. Okay? So, he opened her womb. But Rachel was barren. How many of the matriarchs were barren? You know, Abraham and Sarah? Sarah was barren. Yeah. Yeah, and um, Isaac and Rivka, she was barren. Until Isaac interceded for her and cried out, she was barren. And here we have Jacob and Rachel, she was barren. Hallelujah. You know, do you ever think maybe God just puts us in situations where he can say that he can do miraculous things? Amen. Hallelujah. So, Leah's womb was open as a blessing from Yahweh because he knew the heart of her husband was for... So Yahweh blessed her and caused the one that he loved to be barren. It's kind of like he wanted Leah to fill love. Okay? And so this, was, this is what happened. Now granted, none of this from today is a complete and exhaustive thing, okay? This is why we teach every week throughout the year, all right? <laughs> As I said at the very beginning of this, this is an introduction to the tribes, all right? But even so, it's still moving pretty quick, all right? still going to have some gaps to fill in. But in, in this essence, understand that we are instructed on how husbands and wives are to treat one another. Amen. It's true. Yeah. okay? Leviticus 18.18 18 says that you shall not take a woman to her sister to be a rival to her to uncover her nakedness beside the other in her lifetime. Yeah. Jacob married two sisters. Yeah. Well, we, here in Leviticus, he says, you shouldn't do that. Yeah. Why? Well, hello, did you read the story? <laughs> <laughs> So, just because it happened does not necessarily mean this is the way God wanted it to be, guys. Understand the things that are written through the Scripture are written for us to to read, to learn from, and to get an understanding of what Yahweh does desire. The thing is, when we read through the Scripture, we're going to see many places where these people of God failed. But it doesn't make them any less a child of God. David was a man after God's own heart. He had a man killed because he slept with his wife. Does that mean that's what God wanted? No. David messed up. But when it was brought to his attention, what what happened? He was quick to repent and and to try to make reparation in there, okay? So this is it. David was someone to quickly seek repentance when he realized, oh, man, I, I, I messed up, okay? So we see the things that are written in the scripture for us to learn from. Just because it happens doesn't mean that's what God necessarily said should have happened. Okay. Nonetheless, will he use our mistakes and turn them and cause blessing? Absolutely. Don't we see in the scripture where it says that he causes all things to work for good to those who love him and keep his commandments, right? So this is what we do. Okay. Uh, Exodus 21.10 If he marries another bride, he's not to reduce her food, clothing, or marital rights. Colossians 3.18 Wives, subject yourselves to your husbands as is appropriate in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives. Don't treat them harshly. So, you know, a, lo- a lot of times you hear like an oppressive, ladies, submit to your husbands, right? It's not the way it was supposed to be. But at the same time, husbands, don't mistreat your wife. Okay? Because understand, there, there were penalties for that too. Right? Matter of fact, Peter says that husbands, if you mistreat your wife, your prayers won't get heard. Peter said that. So yeah, let's let's keep all that in mind. All right? Let's look at this. Ephesians 5, 21 through 28. So out of respect for Christ, be courteously reverent to one another. Wives, understand and support your husbands in ways that show your support for the Messiah. The husband provides leadership to his wife by the way the Messiah does to the church, not by domineering, but by cherishing. So just as the church submits itself to Messiah as he exercises leadership, wives should likewise submit to their husbands. Verse 25, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as the Messiah did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Messiah's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty. Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her. Hmm dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness. And that is how husbands ought to love their wives. They're really doing themselves a favor since they're already one in marriage. What he's saying is, husbands, if you mistreat your wife, you're shooting yourself in the foot. Okay? So Leah has sons. She's, she's the one who starts first, right? Leah has sons. What are their names? In birth order, okay? She has sons. She has four. Reuven, Shimon, Shimon. Levi and Yehuda, four sons, okay? Then Bilha, Rachel's handmaid. See, now it become, now it's this started to become a competition. Once they started having kids, they're like, okay, I got to have kids that, that in, in my tent, right. right? So now they start this, com- this competition thing, and man, what a mess, okay? <laughs> you know, you thought your family was bad. <laughs> you thought, oh, dysfunctional families, this is just a new thing. No, guys, from the families and people have always been the same throughout history, throughout time, okay? The difference is God can can make good use of our mistakes, okay? That's the difference between being redeemed and not, all right? So Bilhah, Rachel's handmaiden, has sons. She has Dan and Naphtali, all right? Then Zilpah, Leah's handmaiden, has sons, God and Asher. Then Leah has more children, Issachar and Zebulun, and then she has a daughter, Dina. Okay. Rachel now conceives and gives birth to a son called Yosef. Yosef, by the way, the word Yosef means add, Ad. gather. gather. Okay. Add or gather, which is funny. Think about that. Yosef means to gather. gather. Keep that in mind for later. So, Yosef, and then much later she dies during childbirth. She gives birth to a son and called him Benoni, but uh, his father changed his name to Ben-Yamin. Benjamin. 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 And, and then she died right after, right after she gave birth, okay? These are the 12 sons of Israel, okay? But the interesting thing, in the birth order from Leah, we have a prophecy of who would come from her. Yeah, the Messiah, Yeshua. In the birth order from Leah, we have a prophecy. Now, how can that be? Because names mean things. It's not like, you know, now where we make up a name, oh, I like how that sounds, I'm going to name my kid that. Okay, Names meant things in Scripture. And you c- a child was named and it had a meaning. It was either a, a character trait or something that was established by them or something that was given to them to prophesy who they were to be. Much like there were some children in Scripture that were given names before they were even born. Yohanan? And uh, Yeshua? You know? All right. So, Reuven, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, Issachar, and Zebulun. The meanings of their names mean see a son that hears and obeys. Associated with him is the praise of Yahweh. The recompense or reward for wages is dwelling and habitation. in habitation. The, the, in the sons of Leah, the one who was unloved, the one who was rejected, we see a prophecy of one who would come from her. Well, how can that be? I don't see Yeshua up there. Uh, Yehuda? The lion of the tribe of Judah? Okay. So where does Ephraim and Menashe fit in? You know, when you hear the tribes, when you hear uh, talk about Israel, you, sometimes you hear Ephraim and Menashe. Where? I didn't see that in the list of those 12 guys. So how do they all come in? I heard it over here. Who is it? Joseph's boys. Which is, again, funny, because we have Joseph's sons, and Yeshua was Joseph's son. Hmm, think there might be something there. Genesis forty-one, fifty. So unto Yosef were born two sons before the years of famine came, which Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, of On bare to him. And Yosef called the name of the firstborn Manasseh, for God said he has made me forget all my toil in my father's house, and he named the second, he called him Ephraim, for God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. How would you like to have that name Manasseh? forgot hey you forget come here hey you double come here I want to talk to you that would have been my name wow but think about it I mean this is these are Joseph's sons and they were called forget and double fruit but that's prophetic That's prophetic of what was going to happen with these two guys and we see how this is used in Scripture. Okay? Even the name Yosef is to be added. What we, what we find is through Yosef, we have, a, we have a means and a way for the nations to be added into covenant with Israel. <laughs> well, I thought you said through Abraham. Uh, guys, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. Jacob had 12 sons. One of them was Joseph. Okay? <laughs> same God, same people, same family, same covenant. Okay? Genesis 48, or, uh, 1 through 5. So it came to pass after these things that one told Yosef, Behold, your father is sick. And he took with him his two sons, Manasseh and Ephraim. And he told Yaakov, said, Behold, your son Joseph comes to you. And Israel strengthened himself and sat upon his bed. And Jacob said to Yosef, God Almighty appeared to me at Luz in the land of Canaan. And he blessed me. That happened in this week's parsha. Mm-hmm. Okay? He appeared at, at Jacob's ladder, which... Uh, pardon the pun, but it literally in the scripture it reads a stairway to heaven. <laughs> so <laughs> So there and, and, he sa- he and he said he straightened himself and he said, You appeared to me at lose and he blessed me and he said, Behold, I will make you fruitful and multiply you, and I will make you a multitude of people. He says, I will make you a multitude of people. He didn't just say your family's gonna be big. He said, I will make you a multitude of people. In other places where we see the Scripture, where he talked to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, he says that you you will become a company of nations. You will become a mighty people. You will become a gathering of nations. You will become, so, I mean, again, place after place after place, we see this goes beyond one guy. So, now your two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, were born in the land of Egypt before I came to you in Egypt. They are mine as Rehovon and Shimon are mine. So, what is happening here, not to get completely in there, okay? But what we have here is that Joseph's sons, he says, they're mine. Jacob is saying, your sons are mine. Okay, here's the thing. Even in Scripture and in these times, it's so and so son of so and so son of so and so, right? So, your grandchildren would be called your sons. So why would he have to make a point of saying that here? Because for the sake of legal right and inheritance, your son got the inheritance, not your grandson. So in order to have any kind of inheritance, they would have to be your son. So what he did here was he took Ephraim and Manasseh and he elevated them to a place to become Sons. He didn't adopt them. They were already his. But he t- he elevated them to a legal status to where he is considered their father, which now makes them joint heirs with their brothers. You see the significance in that? So now Joseph's sons are now his brothers. 48, 13, So Yosef took them both, Ephraim in his right hand toward Israel's left, Manasseh in his left toward Israel's right hand, and he brought them near to him. And Israel stretched out his right hand, laid it on Ephraim's head, who was the younger, and his left hand on Manasseh's head. You read this, understand. So he brings them to him, the right hand, the hand for blessing, right? So he, say, he says, I want you to bless my children. He said, bring them forward. He's, he's going to die soon. He wants to bless them before. So he says, bring them to me. He brings them in, and, and he does this. He crosses his hands so that his right hand is on Ephraim's head, the younger. Okay. Well, who's the the, the blessing and the firstborn and all that's supposed to go to? The oldest, right? So like the right of the firstborn is supposed to go to the firstborn child, but show me where it ever did. That's what God declared. The promise and the blessing of the firstborn belongs with the firstborn son. But the firstborn son didn't get it. Most of the time, hmm, like Jacob and Esau, who was supposed to have it? Esau, who got it? Jacob. <laughs> the son. Uh, here, here we have uh, the sons of Israel. Who was the firstborn? Reuben, who should have got it? Ephraim, who wasn't even the firstborn of Joseph. So who got the blessing was the second son of the 11th son. Wow. So is the idea to bless one in the the natural, the one there, or the one who took preeminence in the family spiritually? Stuff to think about. So he says, he crosses his arms, and, and then he says, he blessed Joseph and he said, God before whom my fathers Abraham and, and, and Yitzhak walked, the God which fed me all my life unto this day, the angel which redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads, and let my name be named on them. In other words, what he is saying is, these two, Ephraim and Menashe, will now be called by the name of Israel. Wow. You see that? And guess what happens? In this point forward through Scripture, we start to see when God is talking about Ephraim, and he calls him by Israel. Wow. So you think God maybe meant something? And this is, if you, re, if you look at this, you see this, this starts to unlock so much prophetic things in the Scripture that you may not have seen before. So let the name of my fathers Abraham and Isaac, and let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. To grow into What? A multitude in the midst of the earth. Uh, the idea is like teeming like fish. Okay? Like all over the place. Verse 17. And when Yosef saw that his father had his right hand on the head of Ephraim, it displeased him. And he held up his father's hand to remove it from Ephraim's head to Manasseh's head. And Joseph said to his father, Dad, you're getting old and senile. You're blessing the wrong kid. What do he say? I know what I'm doing. Leave me alone. <laughs> right? I can hear it now. Shut up, boy. Right? And Yosef said to his father, "No," and his father refused, and he said, I know, my son, I know. He shall also become a people. Speaking of Manasseh, he will also become a people, and he will be great. But truly, his younger shall be greater than he, and his seed, his descendants, shall become a multitude of nations. And his seed shall become a multitude of nations. Literally, maloha Goyim is the word that's used here. And now we go back to things like when Paul is saying in Romans that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles return. If we don't know, he's talking about this right here. He's talking about maloha Goyim, which literally means those who filled all the nations. And we read through the scripture, we find that Ephraim filled all the nations and then became assimilated in the nations and forgot who they were. And so what Paul is saying in Romans is that there's a blindness in part until those who filled the nations return. Wow. You know, most of the things that are happening today and all this prophetic stuff and all, these, all, I mean, all of this, if you don't understand just that much, you're going to miss a lot of it. What's the relevance of Israel in prophecy? (laughs) Really? The relevance of Israel is prophecy. So when the tribe scouted the land, who were the two that stood firm? Caleb and Joshua, right? What tribe was Caleb from? Judah. Of the tribe of Judah, Caleb. So Caleb and Joshua, what tribe was Joshua from? Ephraim. So the two that stood firm when they came back, when they scouted out the land, was Caleb and Joshua, or also known as Ephraim and Judah. The two tribes that stood firm and said, this is the land that God said is ours, we just got to go take it. And all the, other, all the other tribes, the other ten, were saying, yeah, but man, it's everything God said, but I don't think we can do it. And they were saying, the rest is irrelevant. God said, it's ours. All we have to do is go. So the two that said, God said the land is ours, are the ones that will be, become in Scripture to be known as those who are associated with the land, Amen. even with the other tribes in there with them. How do I say that? Well, let's look at this. The two tribes become two kingdoms. The kingdoms of Israel become split after Solomon died. Okay? Why? Because Solomon worked the people hard. He did. Okay. And what we find is that after Solomon died, we find Jeroboam and Rehoboam, right? the northern kingdom, the southern kingdom, we find that uh, Jer- Jer- Jeroboam came and he said, Look, guys, king, <laughs> your dad worked us hard. Give us some rest. And we will serve you glad- gladfully, you know, joyfully. We will serve you and just be happy about it. But let us rest a little bit. Well, Rehoboam said, <laughs> I don't think so. You thought my dad was hard? What do you see what I do to you? Okay. That caused a riot, a rebellion. They split. God split the kingdom, and then they became associated as the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. In the, in the northern kingdom, we have Rehoboam, Shimon. Some of the Levites are, all, are everywhere, okay? Dan, Naphtali, Gad, Asher, Yisachar, Yevulun, Yosef, and Benjamin was all in the northern kingdom. In the southern kingdom, we have Yehuda, Benjamin, and some of the Levites. The Levites didn't have a possession of their own, they were scattered throughout. Okay? Why? Because you think it was important that someone was learning and teaching the Torah and telling the people about God's ways in the midst of Israel, all of them? Okay? That's what the Levites were supposed to do. Okay? Matter of fact, Rav Shaul said he's a Benjamite, a Jew because Benjamin became associated and, and eventually assimilated into Judah. Okay? So the northern kingdom is ten tribes. The southern kingdom became two. If you first Kings 11, 28-40, you could, a lot more than that, but you can get the gist of the story through these verses, okay? So Jeroboam was a mighty man of valor, and Solomon, seeing a young man, was industrious. He made him ruler over the charge of Yosef. So Jeroboam... Became ruler over Yosef. Matter of fact, the tribe of Ephraim is where Jeroboam was from. It came to pass at the time when Jeroboam went out of Jerusalem that the prophet Ahijah the Shilonite found him in the way, and he clad himself with a new garment. And there were uh, two were alone in the field, and Ahijah caught the new garment with him, rent it in twelve pieces, and he told Jeroboam, "Take ten pieces, for thus says Yahweh, the God of Israel: Behold, I will rend the kingdom out of the hand of Solomon, and I will give ten tribes to you." But he shall have one tribe for my servant David's sake, and for Jerusalem's sake, because everything be established with two or more witnesses, right? So which I have chosen out of the tribes of Israel, because they have forsaken me and have worshipped Ashtoreth, the goddess of the Zidonians, Chemosh, the god of the Moabites, and the god of the children of Ammon, and have not walked in my ways so that which is right in my eyes, to keep my statutes and judgments, as David, his father. How yet I will not take the whole kingdom out of his hand, but I will make him prince all the days of his life, for David, my servant's sake, and my chose, because he kept my commandments and statutes verse 35 but I will take the out of the kingdom out of a son's hand and I will give it to you even 10 tribes verse 36 and unto a son I will give one tribe that David my servant may have the light before me in Jerusalem in the city which I have chosen to put my name there and I will take you and you shall reign according to all that your soul desires and you shall be king over who Israel what we have here you notice when you read through the scripture you might find some scriptures that talk about to Judah and Israel why the distinction why the separation because he's talking to Judah as a tribe of Judah, and Israel as the ten collective. And we also talk about all Israel, meaning what? All the tribes. Okay? So we can't say, well, Israel means just the Jews, because he's saying, so I'm speaking to Jew and Jew. <laughs> and Jew, and Jew. He's speaking to, to two tribes versus ten, and all being all the tribes. Okay? Verse uh, 39, and I will for this afflict the seed of David, but not forever. Solomon sought therefore to kill Jeroboam, and Jeroboam arose and fled to Egypt, the Shishak, king of Egypt, and uh, was in Egypt till the death of Solomon. Okay, so now we come back to Hoshea 4, 17. he says Ephraim is joined to what? Idols. What happened with the northern kingdom? Idolatry. Why was the northern kingdom exiled and, and dispersed and sent into all the world? Idolatry. And, and we go through and we see one after another. They were sent out because of idolatry. And we don't see anywhere where all them that were dispersed came back. It's yet to be. Hosea 5.3. I know Ephraim and Israel is not hid from me, for I know, O Ephraim, you commit whoredom, and all Israel is defiled. Notice Ephraim and all Israel. They will not frame their doings to turn to their God, for the spirit of whoredoms is in the midst of them, and they have not known Yahweh. And the pride of Israel testifies to his face. Therefore shall Israel and Ephraim fall in their iniquity, and Judah also fall with them. Notice the distinctions. Okay? Isaiah 7, 8, Ephraim has mixed itself among the people. Ephraim is like a cake, not turned. Mm-hmm. Ephraim has mixed himself among who? The people. And notice he calls them a bunch of half-bakes. I'm saying because they fell into idolatry, would not listen to God, they come up with some pretty wild theories. He yep. says they're like a, a cake that's half-cooked. Flip over and finish. Hosea 8:11, because Ephraim has made many altars to sin. Altars became became unto him to sin. In other words, he erected altars, but they did the wrong things with them. Matter of fact, they erected altars in areas that where they were not supposed to. It's so that instead of going down to Jerusalem to make offerings, they set up altars in different territories in northern Israel. To, so that they could come to here, oh, it's just more convenient to come closer. You can have an altar down the road versus going all the way to Jerusalem. We'll, we'll build you an altar here, and tell you what: instead of going down during Sukkot and these other times when you're supposed to, let's just make it these other times. They started changing God's ways and going against the things that He said. So as I've written to them, great things of my law, but they counted them strange. This word for strange doesn't just mean, okay, well, that seems kind of odd. That's not what it means. That word there, strange, means profane. So he says that I've written him so many things from my Torah, but yet he considers them profane. Truly, we are a nation that calls evil good and good evil. Hmm. God says that because they didn't love the truth, God would turn them over so that they would believe the lie. Back to Hosea 14, 1 through 9. We read this in the beginning, but this is, again, Israel and Ephraim talking about this. Israel, return to the Lord your God, for you have fallen to your iniquity. Again, 14.7. Uh, they that dwell under his shadow shall return. So we're talking of those in Israel, those are Ephraim, those who dwell under his shadow will return. In other words, all who come to him and are drawn to him, who make repentance... Return. So here's the thing. So, are, so let me get this straight. Are you saying I have to be one of these descendants of Israel to serve God? And the answer is no. No. But that doesn't discount the fact that God said this is happening. And Here's the thing. You know, in, in Ezekiel, when you talk about the dry bones, you know, if you read that, it tells us who the dry bones are. It says these dry bones are the whole house of Israel. The dry bones are all Israel that come alive and that come to, come to regather. And in the same spot where it talks about the dry bones, it talks about the two sticks. And it says, take one stick, write on it for Judah and those joined with him. So what we have is we have some people of the tribe of Judah, which by the way, the word in Hebrew for stick and tribe is the same word. Okay, so don't get mixed up. Oh, that's just prophetic imagery. Literally, he's saying tribes. Okay. <laughs> so he says, so take the stick, write on it for, for Judah and those that join with them. And then for the stick of Yosef, write Ephraim and those joined with him. These are four groups of people, guys. We're talking about the tribe of Judah. We're talking about Ephraim and all those who join with them. And then he says, you shall take those and put them together, and they shall all become one. Hmm. Verse 8, Ephraim will say, what do I have any more to do with idols? I've heard them, I've observed them, I'm like a green tree. Okay, who is wise? He shall understand these things. Prudent, he shall know them, for the ways of Yahweh are right, and the just walk in them, but transgressors fall in them. If, we're, if we want to walk with Yahweh, then we need to walk in his ways. We can't say, God, I will follow you everywhere, except that. I don't like that. Right? John 11, 46 to 54. This is, again, some interesting things. Yeah, d- I mean, this stuff goes into the New Testament? <laughs> all this stuff is in the New Testament, and all the stuff that's written in the New Testament is because of what's written in the Old. Okay. okay? After the miracle of the resurrection of Lazarus. Okay? So we're shown Lazarus comes back from the dead, right? Amazing things start happening, right? We're talking after resurrection. Let John eleven forty-six. So some of them went their way to the Pharisees and told them what Yeshua had done. Then he gathered the chief priests and the Pharisees with council. He said, What do we do? You know, this man is many miracles. If we let him alone, all men will come to believe in him. That was kind of the idea. Okay. But then the Romans shall come and take away both our place and nation. Oh, that was the key thing. It had nothing to do about God or religion or anything like that. It was all about politics and power. Right? Look at verse uh, 49. One of them named Caiaphas, being the high priest that same year, said to them, You know nothing at all, nor consider it expedient for us that one man should die for the people, and that the whole nation perish not? Verse 51. And he spoke this not of himself, but being high priest that year, he prophesied that Yeshua should die for what? That nation. What nation is that nation? Israel. Okay, those that were there in Judea, Okay, that, that nation, Israel look at verse 52. And not for that nation only, but also he should gather together in one the children of God that are scattered abroad. Okay, question. In Yeshua's day, who were the children of God that were scattered abroad, scattered all over the world? The 12 tribes. The 10 more specifically, right? The northern kingdom that was scattered into exile called by the name Yosef or Ephraim. Hmm. So he said that Yeshua would get, die for not just this nation, Judah, but also those all over the world that are called by the name of God. Wow. And then from that day forward, they took counsel together to put him to death. Huh. Okay. Look at verse 54. So Yeshua therefore walked the more openly among the Jews... But he went into a country near the wilderness, a city called Ephraim. You think that's prophetic at all? You think he says anything about, so to the Jew first and the Gentile? The stone the builders rejected is now sent to the nations? And there he continued with his disciples. Yeshua says, I have come for the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Who are they? If there there were no such thing as the lost sheep of the house of Israel, why did Yeshua say that's who I came for? James, in his his letter, the very first, the opening line of the book of James. You know, Yeshua's half-brother, if you want to put it that way. Read it writing to the twelve tribes in the diaspora. Prophetic? Absolutely back to the tribes from this point forward as you read through the Torah you're going to notice every time the tribes are listed there's some interesting things that are going on names have meaning and we start to see there's always something else to be revealed there because when you read through their names you might notice maybe not all the tribes are listed maybe they're not listed in birth order maybe some are missing maybe to put Ephraim or Manasseh or Yosef or one of these in there one of the other ones are taken out when you start to read through you're gonna see that and is there something there that maybe is a little deeper? Absolutely. So how are they revealed? Okay? Proverbs twenty-five two says it is the, the honor of God to hide a thing, but the honor of kings is to search them out. Okay? Devar is a word that's used there. I mean the devar is a word or a thing or a matter. Okay? Proverbs twenty-five two, so it says here, it is the honor of, of God to devar. To hide a devar, to hide a word, or to hide a thing. but The Honor of kings is to search out the word. To search out the matter, to search out the thing. So God has put things in his word in order for you to search. In other words, there are some things that will be revealed as you learn, as you grow, and as you get in the word and study that maybe other people aren't ready to hear. If we don't understand to look for meanings in the tribes, we won't fully understand some of the other things in scripture. We might miss what's really being said to us. Okay, Because, like I said, they're not always listed in birth order. Sometimes the tribe's left out. Um, Their names were included on the priestly garments. Why? When Yahweh calls the tribe out of the hole, there's a purpose. Matter of fact, yeah, the New Jerusalem has how many gates? Twelve gates, twelve foundation stones. What are the names on the gates? The tribes of Israel, not denominational names. So, our Messiah Yeshua would descend from Leah from the tribe of Judah, right? Here we have the word Yehuda. If you'll notice, Yehuda, and yod heh vav The name for God, yod heh vav The four letters, right? The difference between Yehuda and yod heh vav is one letter. What's that letter? Dalit. okay? Now, for those of you who may have a hard time seeing this, let me show you this right there. See that? That's a Dalit. If you remove that, you have... Yod, hey, vav, hey. The difference is Dalit. Now, in the Hebrew, each letter has their own meaning. Hmm. Dalit is the fourth letter of the Alephbet. Who's the fourth son? Yehuda. Okay, so the fourth letter. The fourth word of Genesis is Aleph-Taf. What's the significance of that? The very first, the fourth word of Genesis 1-1 is the word that is not translated in any English-speaking Bible you have at all. Seriously, I'm not kidding. The Aleph Taf that is in Genesis 1-1, there are seven words in Genesis 1-1, only six of them translate. And that seventh word is in the Old Testament over 7,000 times. And it's not translated once. And it is the beginning, the Aleph and the top, the first letter of the Aleph Bet, the last letter of the Aleph Bet. When I say he is the beginning and the end, the first and the last, what do you think of? Are you thinking back here? Revelation, right? He says, I am the first, I am the last, the Alpha Omega, right? Okay, let me ask you a question. John, the one who wrote this, right? You get a group of people together who their first and common language is a different language. What language do they speak? Their native tongue, Right? I walk up on some of y'all sometimes I don't know what you're saying. Seriously, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm just being honest, okay? You can say whatever you want. I wouldn't know. (laughs) But when Yeshua revealed himself to Paul, Paul made a point to say he spoke to me in Hebrew. So when Paul had his revelation and with a bright light and got knocked off his horse, he said, Yeshua spoke to me in Hebrew. So we have, after Yeshua had resurrected, after he had ascended, after all this happens, we have a record of him speaking Hebrew to people who speak Hebrew. So why would he say to John, who speaks Hebrew, I am Alpha Omega, in Greek. Now, granted, John may have written to Greek because he was writing to the churches and the people that were out in the areas that were in Greek areas. But why would he be speaking to him in Greek when, hey, it's just two of us here? Further, Alpha Omega in Greek means nothing other than it's the first letter and the last letter. In the Hebrew, Aleph Tav, being the first letter and the last letter of the Hebrew alphabet, is in the Scripture as much as it is, and it's never translated. So what he's revealing to John is, I am the first and the last, the beginning and the end. I am the Aleph-Taf, that is in Genesis 1-1, that they don't know how to translate. Doesn't Scripture say he was in the beginning? If Yeshua was in the beginning, if Colossians says everything was created by him, for him and through him, and by him all things consist, if he was in the beginning, if he's the one who was creating everything, if he was there with the Father, where is he mentioned? Fourth, Fourth word. The Dalit, fourth letter of the Hebrew alphabet, the significance of that, Yehuda, through Yehuda, we will have a revelation of the Messiah. He will come through Judah, the tribe of Judah. Okay? Further, the word Dalit means door. Literally, Dalit, Hebrew means door. Yeshua says, I am the door. John 10 1 2. Indeed, I tell you, the person who doesn't enter the sheep pen through the door, but climbs in some other ways, the thief and a robber, but the one who goes in through the gate is the sheep's own shepherd. He is the door. He is the gate. He is the way. Okay? So through Yehuda, we have the door to Yahweh. We have access to Yahweh through Yeshua. You with me? You starting to see the, the relevance of some of this now? John 10, 9, he says, I am the gate. If someone enters through me, he will be safe and will go in and out and find pasture. Awesome stuff. Delet, in the Hebrew, the door. So in the Paleo-Hebrew, this is what it would look like. In the ancient writings, the way they used to write, right? They were pictures in the writings. This is what it would look like. And so the meanings would be the door that opens with authority to be a sign. And look at this. Tell me this isn't, we have... The door, like the tent door? Right? How do you, like, there's the overhead, and then you have the flap for the door, the door? What's this? A rod, the shepherd's staff, the shepherd's rod. He is the shepherd. And the the, the, the Tav, the ancient Hebrew, the Paleo Hebrew for the Tav, is this? A cross? Then the word Tav means a sign or a mark? God had it first, guys. I'm telling you. Aaron, the high priest, was to present all the tribes before Yahweh. Exodus 28-29, Aaron will carry the names of the sons of Israel on the breastplate for judging over his heart when he enters the holy place as a continual reminder before Adonai. 28-9-12, Exodus 28-9-12, through 12. he says, Take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel and put on the two stones the two shoulder pieces and the vest of the stones, calling them to mind the sons of Israel. Aaron is to carry their names before Adonai on his two shoulders as a reminder. It is the tribes to be as a reminder to bear them to bear witness of them when God went into the presence of the most high so how did he bear the witness of the 12 tribes when he went into Yahweh was it just all the people called by his name yeah but it was his people who he redeemed Israel if you look this is one of the representations you see which many play oh so the breastplate was gold wrong the breastplate was not gold. It was a woven work and it had gold threads in it. And each stone was mounted on a gold back. And then that, that stone was then mounted on the breastplate that was folded over to make a pocket in it. And inside that pocket was the urim and Thummim. In the wilderness, the order that they camped around the tabernacle is another picture of Yeshua. For prophetic. Again, and I'm doing this just to show you that where we have the tribes mentioned, it's showing us something deeper. Okay? In the wilderness, they had the tabernacle, and then they camped. Toward the east was what? Judah. So as they camped, they had Judah, and then there were tribes that camped under the banner of Judah. But who headed up the tribes to the east was the tribe of Judah. To the south, who? Reuben to the west Ephraim to the north Dan the meanings of their names praise the firstborn son who hears who will bring much fruit and who will judge what does that sound like to you who does that sound like to you the 12 gates of the new jerusalem have the names of 12 tribes so, when the tribes are sealed in Revelation 7, there's a certain order that's given there. Okay? The tribe order in Revelation 7, 1 through 10. We have it. Look at it Judah, Reuben, Gad, Asher, Nephtali, Manasseh, Simeon, Levi, Issachar, Zebulun, Yosef, Benjamin. Right? The meanings of those names? The praise of the Lord or confession, who sees the sun, or the vision of the sun, a band, a troop, happiness, that struggles or fights. Forgetfulness, or he that is forgotten, hears or obeys, associated with... So what does this have to do with anything? Okay, look at at it this way. Praise of the Lord who sees the sun. A band, like a troop, gathering together. The happiness, who struggles, but forgets. The forgetfulness, forgetting the old things. The forgetfulness. He that hears or obeys, to be associated with him is? Reward, and what is the reward? A dwelling or habitation with him to be increased or added in with the son of the right hand, who is Yeshua. Yeah. Prophetic. Yeah. So even, even in that, you know, there's a picture that's given there of the calling together, even in the last of everything. And God used Israel to reveal this. Yeah. Romans eight seventeen. So, and if we are children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Messiah. How can we be children and be joint heirs with? Back to that whole thing with Yosef and Ephraim and Manasseh. His sons became his brothers. Provided we are suffering him with in order to be glorified with him. Galatians 3.29. If you belong to the Messiah, you are the seed of Abraham and heirs according to the promise. That promise. Ephesians 3.5-6. In past generations it was not made known to mankind as the Spirit is now revealing to his emissaries and prophets. That in union with the Messiah and through the good news, the Gentiles, the nations, are to be be joint heirs, a joint body, and joint sharers with the Jews in what God has promised. So, where do we see, do we see anywhere the relevance of Scripture that those who are in the nations will become joint heirs with the tribe of Judah? Absolutely. Starting in Genesis 12. With the promise that God told Abraham. That's exactly what God told Abraham he would do. And then when, when Jacob made the blessing to, to Yosef's sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, he said the same thing. And when Ephraim came with idolatry and, and got sent into all the world, same thing. I mean, it's not uncommon, guys. It's not isolated incidents, it is one narrative all the way through. One of the biggest disservices we have when we read scripture is the chapter and verse separations. Because we don't we we, we we stop reading the scripture from the beginning through as we're reading it. We we isolate certain sections and read certain sections and don't gain understanding of context. Because we have to know context in order to translate. Some of these Hebrew words and some of these things can mean a lot of, have a lot of different meanings. Without context, you don't understand how to translate some of this. And so if you pull something out of context, you can make it say anything you want to say. Now now I'm just being crazy, right? You know, what about the scripture where it says, so Judas went out and hanged himself. And there's a place, there's a scripture where Yeshua says, go and do likewise. Yeah, taking scripture out of context is that dangerous. So you've got to put it back in context to see what's really being said. okay? Titus 3, 7 and 8. So he did it so that by his grace we might come to be considered righteous by God and become heirs with a certain hope of eternal life. So you can trust what I have just said, and I want to speak to you with confidence about these things so that those who have put their trust in God may apply themselves to doing what? Good deeds. What are good deeds called in Scripture? Mitzvot. You know what mitzvot are? They're literally commands. So what we have literally, the translation for good deeds, is the Hebrew, what God commanded. Huh? So he says, So they may trust to God applying themselves to mitzvot, and they are good, uh, both good and themselves and valuable to the community. So a lot can be said about the tribes for Israel, guys. And I am no way of saying Israel's perfect. What I am saying is God had a plan for Israel. He still does right? Don't forget this. If you were called sons of Yahweh, and you're grafted in through the seed of Abraham, through Yeshua, and a part of a people called Israel. Ephesians chapter 2. You who used to be far off, removed, did not know about the covenant of promise. You had no hope. You had, had no idea about the blessings of the promises of covenant that God gave to Israel. You were not a part of Israel. But in the Messiah Yeshua, you who were far off are now brought near. Brought near to what? Exactly what it said, you were far away from. What were you far away from? You, you were not a part of the commonwealth of Israel, which means you are now a part of the commonwealth of Israel. You, d- you were not in covenant, which means you are now in covenant. You didn't have hope, and now you have hope you were without God and now you are with see keep it in context Yahweh chose to reveal certain aspects of his word he chose to reveal many different things in his word through his people called Israel and revealing much of the scripture through the revealing of the tribes when we read the scripture and when we see the tribes listed why not stop for a second and say why is he telling me this Instead of, well, that's a bunch of names, skip over that. Maybe find out why they're there. Hmm? All this just to show you that one person can make a difference. How can one person make a difference? If Abraham didn't do what he was supposed to do, none of this would, would, none of this would matter. If Isaac didn't do what he was supposed to do, none of this would matter. If Jacob completely fell off, off his rocker, none of this would matter. How about even Joseph? If Joseph didn't go through what he went through and end up in Egypt being sold as a slave, going through hell and back, but but he became ruler over Egypt. And God used that to literally save the world because the famine was so severe. Hmm. Here's the thing. So what does that mean for you in your life? We're lost in this thing, and we're told, you know, one person can't make a difference, and you're just one person. What can you do? You can't do anything. You know what? If God is telling you to do something, you don't know what impact it's going to have, and you don't know what it's going to change. If you've submitted yourself to the Father, and He is working in your life, you don't know how far-reaching your life will extend. My encouragement for you? Don't give up. All the time we see through Joseph and his life, we see nowhere when he looked up to the heaven and said, God, what are you doing? Why me? If it rains and we get a flat tire, we're ready to throw in the towel. Really? But yet we don't see anywhere where Joseph looked up at God and says, I don't get it. Maybe we just need to change our perspective. We need to set our mind on the things of, of of above, the things heavenly minded. We need to set our things on things of the kingdom and not be so consumed with where we're going here. I'm not saying not we we have to live here, guys. <laughs> but maybe we need to put a little more weight behind the spiritual things that the Father's calling us to. And then maybe, just maybe, that will give us joy in the physical things. Seek first his kingdom then all these things will be added. Amen? Amen. We are a part of a people called Israel. And notice, Scripture says all nations will come against Israel. Yeshua says, if they hate me, they're going to... Yeah. So how do we respond is the big issue. We should respond in a way that shows the glory and the praise of our King. Respond in a way that honors Him in this kingdom here and now. Amen.